Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Heidi ho welcome to the show, Mo. Oh, wow, do you have that planned? Not really, that kind of... Did it just like of, pop out of your brain? It just popped out of my brain. It came from my brain down the brain tube into the mouth tube. came out of my lips, which is the mouth tube cover. And I said it. That's how thoughts and talks work. Thoughts and talks. That's kind of what the show is about, isn't it? Thoughts and talks. That was so coherent and eloquent. You should definitely be on a podcast. You know, it's the first time anyone's ever like referenced the word coherent and me. <laughs> right. We got another iTunes review, and what I would like to do, I think, is start reading them on the podcast, so maybe it'll entice more people to leave reviews and stuff. Nice. And usually I screenshot these and send them to you, but I didn't with this one. You might have already seen it. It is by Wabi. <laughs> I'm already a fan. Yeah, you're right, and it's a The title. one and only Wabi. It's a five-star review, so thank you very thank much, you. Wabi. This is on iTunes. Uh, the title is Lovable Idiots, quote... They are the hosts with the most. If we're counting lack of brain cells, that is. Ooh, oh, shit. I'm just kidding. Kaylee seems quite intelligent. I'm not sure about the other host, Jeremy, though. <laughs> the show covers interesting topics, and it has great smaller segments sprinkled into each episode. This podcast has the best intro ever. You just have to listen to it. If it's not your cup of tea, pour it down the drain, get a cup of coffee, and try listening to it again. Oh. Yeah, that's a great bit of advice there. Yeah. A bit there, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> great bit of Bobby. <laughs> I'm the intelligent one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that puts a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. I'm so glad. I've taken so long to engineer my personality as the dumbass. Mm. I have no responsibility now. I can say anything. That's true. I have to at least be somewhat accurate, which kills me because... Really, one of our first episodes, I was explaining cis and trans, yeah. and I explained it like shit. Really? And it kills me to listen to little things like that. Where it's well, just hey, like, all, being smart, it's all about learning, right? So you learn. Yeah. And now you're, now you're smarter, thus reinforcing Wabi's theory of smart girl, dumb guy. That's the podcast. Yeah. I have a lot of fun recording the podcast. Yeah. And I think it also forces us to hang out, which is nice. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what this is. <laughs> This is forced uh, Mo and Jeremy <laughs> right, hangout yeah. time, yeah. Uh, which is nice because it lets us catch up on things and it gives me an outlet to talk about really weird things. Like I'll stumble across things in my life and I'm like, holy, f this is amazing. I love this so much. Yeah. And I try and like tell people and nobody really cares. No, you, you got to wait for a party or a podcast. Yeah, and then I get an outlet now. I get I get to just tell you about it, and you are forced to listen to me. Yeah, you always have a captive audience, whether it's online, but more literally, it's like, uh, you know, I can't get up. Not only can I listen to you from across the table, I also have two speakers in my ears that are headphones, <laughs> yeah. hearing your voice a second time <laughs> into my ears as well. I don't know, it's just kind of, yeah, it's just forced hangout time. So <laughs> if you get, I don't know, you guys listening kind of it gives me an excuse to keep going. And that's kind of nice. So thank you for listening and making me feel like I'm adding joy to the world. That's kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to, to put it. Um, thank you, Mr. Wabi. Does anyone know that it's my dad who's... Oh, yeah, our intro. I don't know if we ever addressed that on the show before. I, we haven't. Maybe we did it on one of our unreleased episodes. 
that was released and then we redacted them because they were bad. Because yeah, they're embarrassing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it's my dad. My dad did the intro. So when you when an episode first comes on and that voice of the man that is not me says Warning, Warning. the following podcast is, is a, a shit, shit show. show and the individuals you are about to meet are, are idiots. idiots. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeremy. Hi, I'm Mo. <laughs> that was a trippy thing that just happened. Oh my god, welcome back. Welcome back to being back. Did you love that as much as Wobby did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what if Wobby was your father? That would be kind of cool, actually. And he was just saying, like, wink, wink, that's me. Yeah, he likes all of our posts on Facebook. He does, and I appreciate that. Yeah. It's like him and two other people, and I'm grateful. Yeah, him and Kent. Yeah. If you go into earlier episodes, there's one guy named Kent that asks all of our fan questions, and that's Kaylee's uncle. Well, Kent is basically your uncle by association. I feel very close to Kent. In fact, we've gotten no fan mail from Kent in the last months, and I feel like he's disappointed in just me. Well, no, he still texts me. He, okay. he asks me about it all the time. Sometimes he'll call me. Ken, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to send me a text and tell me that you're hearing this. And I also want you to know that we both love you very much. I love you, Kent. Thank you so I much. I also love you, Kaylee's dad. <laughs> you know his name. Uh, so let's jump into, I don't know, general bibble babble, right? Bibble babble time. Not, it's not a segment. It's just us talking. Uh, but I saw this on reddit where i find all my interesting things that's where i find all my pornography it is an ask reddit Mm -hmm. what's a little known but obvious fact that will immediately make all of us feel stupid little known but obvious fact yeah god i i wish i knew some well i okay here's one i don't know if it's obvious but the carbonation and pop is Mm -hmm. from carbon dioxide gas being dissolved into the liquid and gas is soluble in liquid when it's under high pressure and at lower temperatures that's why you're supposed to store pop in like a cooler or on ice so Mm -hmm. that the carbonation stays inside the liquid it stays soluble and as soon as you open it all the pressure comes out so it eventually goes flat because all of the gas came out of the liquid and that into was the so air. obvious <laughs> i can't believe i didn't put that together in my brain i mean i feel like it, no the cold and, and the pressure is really interesting i never thought yeah. of the pressure of like when you open a pop yeah it's because the pressure is making the gas yeah also carbonation soluble. like yeah. carbonation yeah it's carbon dioxide cool. gas yeah you just explained science and soda yeah isn't that fun that is fun. So here's another one that I thought was really interesting. Words that are spelled the same but pronounced with emphasis on different syllables is actually indicative of the part of speech it is. Stress on the first syllable is a noun, and stress on the last syllable is a verb. So contract and contract. Whoa. Contract is a noun. Wow. And contract is yeah. a verb, like you're yeah, contracting yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I can sign a contract. I like that a lot. That's yeah, isn't fascinating. That, isn't that cool? Yeah. Object and object. Oh, my God. There's probably a lot. Yeah. Did they list more on there? Yeah. So there's, I want to hear all of these. It's hard because I have to like read them in different ways in my head. Because yeah, they, they didn't, they sure, didn't put sure, both ways. Sure, sure, Address and, and address. address. Yeah. Oh, man. That one was cool. Then you have like a fun run that Ooh, doesn't work there. Uh, doesn't work at all. But, fun run. Fun run. Uh, record. And record. Record. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's fun for my brain. Yeah, isn't it? And you never would think about it, but it does kind of make sense when you think about it. It totally makes sense, yeah. The word helicopter has two components. They aren't heli and copter. They are helico and 
Tear. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably just tear. Yeah, tear. Like pterodactyl. Tear, yeah, definitely. It's definitely tear, not Helico, helix, and tear, like wing, like pterodactyl, like pterodactyl yep. makes helical wing. Cats, dogs, and other similar animals can't see directly below their faces because their snout gets in the way. Wow. I thought that was kind of cute. So that's why, like, when you're trying to give them a treat, they always look up. What's because they can't see it. Wow, their yeah, nose, yeah, yeah, their, yeah, yeah. Their schnoz is, is actually adorable way too when you're long. Thinking about yeah. Little schnozzes. Wow. I thought that was interesting. That is very interesting. Could I bring that up for a thing? For a babble? Yeah. For a babble. Yeah, I'll move on to uh, only on the interwebs. Oh, joyous day. And then we have a really long segment, so we're going to try and shove it all into one. So this only on the interwebs is a Today I Fucked Up by Almost Drowning in a Pit of Human Waste. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm going to be upset. Only on the interwebs. I want to preface this by saying before we started the podcast and started recording, I asked Jeremy which only on the interweb segment he wanted. I didn't tell him what. I said it could be a funny, gross one or like a funny, cringy one. And he wanted the gross one, so we're doing human waste. That's right. It was my decision, but it was for you people. He even asked first. He was like, okay, well, is it poop? I'm like, yes. (laughs) And he's like, all right, we'll do the poop one. (laughs) So this guy says a while back, he used to work for a company that was tearing out and removing an old waste treatment system that was shut down in the 70s. That's old poop. Yeah, it's old poop. It was basically a massive underground pit where the waste solids, aka shit, would settle on the bottom of a chamber and the liquids would be pumped out. The thing is, is they shut it down and it was left full of shit and is by far one of the nastiest jobs he's ever done, he says. They opened the pit by tearing off the top of it with equipment, and they were bringing in a bunch of trucks to pump out the waste. Mm -hmm. The pit was about 16 feet deep, filled to the top with shit. Oh, my God. Brimming with 1970s shit. Yeah, and it's, like, not even just shit. They were, like, condoms and, like, random things, but mostly, like, human waste. One weekend, there was a ton of rain. And when it rained, they would pump the water out into a new sewer so they could remove the solids. Mm-hmm. And since it was the weekend and there was so much rain, the boss asked him to swing by and turn the pumps on so that the water didn't get out of hand. So he went out to the job site alone to turn on the pumps and suck the water out. When he got to the job site, he turned the pumps on, but they were clogged up. So he decided to walk into the structure alone and clear the pumps, and that is oh. the start of the fuck-up that almost killed him. Oh, God. If you are aware, I'll take a minor detour from the story. If you're aware of, like, animal farms and things, mm-hmm. they have, like, big waste management systems because basically you have to shovel all that shit somewhere. And oh, so yeah, they'll you're have, right. like, really big troughs. Like, that's basically that, where it's just multiple feet deep where they yeah. just put all the shit and that right there is a fact that like is obvious it makes you feel dumb afterwards when you yeah. shovel shit you have to put that shit somewhere yeah they have to have like ditches not not even ditches because they're really really deep but they're extremely dangerous because it's like quicksand and mm-hmm. a lot of people die that way because they'll accidentally fall in and really? then you can't get out because you just sink all the way down to the bottom and then you suffocate because you can't breathe you know it's like mud kind of oh my god And there was actually a story, and I think Michigan or maybe it was Canada, where a family, one uh, son, it was like a farmer family, a son like fell in Mm -hmm. and started sinking and drowning. 
And so the older brother jumped in to save him. And then he starts sinking and drowning. Yeah. So then the father jumped in to try and save them. And then he ended up sinking and suffocating too. So oh all God. of the children and the father ended up dying in the sewage pit of animal wow. shit. That's terrible. Isn't that like horrifying to think about? Ugh. But also like on top of that, yeah, that's a terrible way to go out. But also in so quickly, an entire lineage is gone. Yeah. It all went to shit. I, all went to shit. I can't remember how many people ended up dying, but it was at least like two sons and a dad. I'm fairly sure. So it might have been even more. I don't remember the, the exact story. The mom jumped story. in, the dog jumped in. Right. And the neighbor jumps in. Yeah. And the neighbor's dog jumped it's in. It's just like, why didn't anyone think to get like a stick? Or a rope. I mean, panic, yeah, obviously. Panic, but... absolutely. So your panic says jump to the giant quicksand shit pit. Right. They're dying, so maybe if I jump in, I won't die. Yeah. So the guy in the story took his personal vehicle. He didn't have any equipment with him. So instead of using a harness, he went in without one. Mm. The structure was underground, and the pit had large chambers that were broken into basically large upside-down Vs that you could walk on, which was a foot or two wide. So like a, a roofs of these pits? They're like upside down V's that you could walk on. How so can you like, walk on an ups- like a walkway? Line, yeah, one walk, little walkway. walkway. Yeah, that was yeah. like a foot wide that you could walk on. Okay. So when he got down to the pumps and was crouched down cleaning up the pump. The blockage. The blockage. His phone rang. He went to answer it and that was the second fuck up. Being crouched, he had to turn his leg and try to get the phone out of his pocket. And when he did that, his foot slipped on some gravel, and he slipped off the ledge and fell in. Oh, my God. At that point, he wasn't really worried about anything besides the fact that he just landed in 40-year-old shit up to his knees. Oh, my God. However, oh, so it was just to his knees. Yeah. However, when he tried to move to get to the edge to get out, he started to sink. <gasps> like I said earlier, the pit was 16 feet deep, and it was like quicksand. He tried to reach for the edge that he was like walking on and it was just out of reach. Like a movie. Right. And he tried to move to like reach it, but now it was about waist deep and Can you, shit. Oh my God. I'm yeah. getting I'm getting like that nervous feeling like I got a shit. Yeah. So That's at scary. that point he was just he was just kinda of fine. He was like, Oh, this is kinda of worrying, but you know, everything's fine. Who would he, think that? Yeah. He's like, I'll just Die. wait here and chill out and someone will find me eventually and get me out i like i'm not gonna struggle i'll be embarrassed whatever but hey at least i'll be alive what a calm like yeah <laughs> like why yeah i'll just be embarrassed and yeah it's, it's fine but so he doesn't realize how deep it is or he doesn't realize that he's gonna sink more he doesn't realize he's gonna sink more <laughs> and he he finds that out while he stood there covered in shit he noticed that he was still sinking oh, man. and that's when the panic set in he said i couldn't wait i had to get out or i was going to die my whole life had been leading up to me drowning in shit. <laughs> like, yeah, That's you would trippy. you would think about that, right? Like, yeah, my guess, entire life just leads up to this. Yeah. So he instantly tried to get out. He tried to kick his way out. But tried... struggling in quicksand is like worse. Yeah, he tried to pull himself out. He tried to swim to the top of it all while sinking deeper and deeper. At that point, he had sunk down to his chest and had pretty much lost all hope and had started to accept the fate. And he broke into hysterical laughter and cursing himself for the stupidity of going down there without a harness. Wow. He finally calmed down while <laughs> reading the wrapper of a condom from the 60s. He noticed a piece of rebar sticking out of one of the walls that had started to tear down. Mm. He reached out for it and was able to grab it. 
With every ounce of strength, he managed to pull himself free and then pull himself to the ledge and get out. He said, I got out Mm. of the pit and fell on the ground and looked up at the sky and lay there covered in shit and smelling worse than I ever did in my life and laughed. I was alive. My story had not ended by drowning in shit. (laughs) (laughs) I got up, found a water hose and washed myself off, threw my clothes away and drove home naked and took what was the best and longest shower of my life and never told a soul. Wow. What a story. Yeah, that's a f- Imagine living through that. Uh, yeah. That's kind of beautiful. Isn't that kind of like... It's terrifying, you have to gross, be and wow. Absolutely euphoric. Yeah. Slowly dying, accepted it, and then had a spark of like... <gasps> and then you had to like right. pull... Can you imagine like how hard it would be to pull yourself out of that though? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be so heavy. Because it's so thick so, and there's so, so much heavy. of it and it's so deep and it's just sucking you down. Yeah, it's down sucking you it. down further. Yeah, that that's nuts. And you just lay there like, holy fuck. I can see it like a movie. I can see that like, I imagine it starts to rain, but that's yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Do you ever see those videos where it's like a motorcyclist and they get in an almost deadly car wreck and they end up being fine and they immediately walk off to the side of the road and just lay down? Yes, yes. I imagine it's a lot like that where it's like yeah. I almost just completely You just got to take a breather and be like, it. wow, and like process. Because you don't really think about it. My entire life could be ended in a second. Everything I've ever done could just mean nothing. I never really thought about it as everything was leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Your whole story ends with, oh, then then Steve died and shit. Yeah. So maybe that'll spark some inspiration in some of you to go live your life and don't fuck around and shit. <laughs> yes, that's what it'll do. That's that's what that story I think this was will, for. I think this story will change your life. We'll preface this episode. Warning, this episode will change your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you will Watch be out. so motivated to get up and do shit. And make you work for sanitation. And just enjoy life that you won't even know what to do with yourself. You'll probably stop listening to us. <laughs> yeah. But you're welcome. Do you want a science corner this week or do you want to jump in this segment? Let's jump into the segment. Okay. I think we can do that. I think we are allowed. Yeah. I think mom and dad will let us do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this episode is all about Nazis. I kind of wanted to change up the pace a little bit and do more of like a historical episode because we don't talk about this kind of stuff a lot. And I think Mm -hmm. it is really interesting. So I don't know. Yeah, we thought you guys were having too much fun lately. And we said we got to talk about something super depressing, tragic and inhumane. Not really fun at all. Yeah, but still weird and strange. Definitely. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Forces of insane violence have been let loose by Hitler upon this earth. John Demyanyo, the 66-year-old Ukrainian native, is accused of being a Nazi death camp guard named Ivan the Terrible. Guard particularly against this group. These are the most dangerous. German youth. Unbelievable. Fantastic. But I tell you, it could happen. Nice. (laughs) So I'll kind of start off. I'm going to give a little bit of background information. I'm not going to get into like World War II and how it started and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. We're assuming that you know enough about you guys know about hitler right (laughs) i'm gonna be talking about a concentration camp called treblinka 
So here we are. First opened in December of 1941 as a small forest labor camp. And a second one came out. And this was like an ultra secret covert camp called T2 or Treblinka 2, which mm-hmm. opened in July of 1942. So about, about seven months later mm. as an extermination camp. It was right around Warsaw. Okay. So this was German-occupied land in Poland, right by Warsaw, which was a huge city and had a lot of Jewish people specifically. Yeah, the Warsaw ghettos. This camp, Treblinka, was part of Operation Reinhard, which was founded to exterminate the Jews of Poland. It marked the introduction of extermination camps specifically. Operation Reinhard had the three major camps. I'm... Absolutely going to pronounce these wrong. Belzec, Sobibor, and Treblinka. There were mass killing facilities in each of these camps that used a compound called Cyclone B. Right. And I looked into it a little bit. It's essentially a cyanide pesticide. You know Bayer aspirin? Yeah. They were part of a consortium called IG Farben that made Cyclone B pesticide for Mm -hmm. uh, the Nazi regime. It's been used commercially for a long time on farms and different products. And it was actually used up until like 2004, 2014. I can't remember which. And it allowed for more than 1,200 people to be killed at one time. They would basically just hoard like 1,200 people into these chambers and it would gas them with cyanide. Yeah. It's nuts like how much they use though. Like it was hundreds of tons of cyanide gas to kill these people. So they were mass deportations that started in July 22nd of 1942, so pretty much immediately after Treblinka was opened. And over the next two months, more than 250,000 Jews were deported from Warsaw to Treblinka and over 100,000 from other areas in Poland. So overall, throughout the war, Treblinka accounted for right around... 925,000 people to be exterminated. Oh my God, which that's is so much. Second only to Auschwitz. So everybody knows Auschwitz, and I feel like nobody really knows about Treblinka, but yeah. it also was a huge extermination camp. That is so much. That is so many people. Madison Square Garden holds 20,789 people. Mm-hmm. That is small in to comparison. To yeah, to almost a million. Isn't that crazy? In 1940s, I don't think people realize how exponential the human population has grown. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that being taught this in school, we think of it in a very superficial level. Like we yeah. don't, we don't put any emotion into it. But when you actually sit down and read it and think about it, it gives you goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. Try to picture 900,000 faces. Sons, daughters, fathers. For most of the people listening to this, that's probably your entire town and more. Yeah, your si- yeah. And neighboring towns, dead. In some cases, it could be your state. Right. <laughs> your Dakota. Or, yeah. Another statistic that I thought was crazy is fewer than 100 survivors were found after World War II that were in Treblinka. What was that? Fewer than 100 survivors were found after World War II. That's like nothing compared to how many people died in this yeah. camp. It's nuts. 900,000? 925,000 people. Almost a million people. 
just to give you some idea of what the process was, so there was those mass deportations. They would round people up from Warsaw and other areas. They would put them in these railway cars because there's a big railway system that connected the two. Victims were separated by sex, stripped of their clothing and possessions, and marched into bathhouses and gassed with cyanide or carbon monoxide gas. Those who were unable to walk were taken to the, quote, infirmary, which basically was a large ditch where they were killed immediately. Yeah, which is disgusting. It was part of the T4 program started by Hitler, which began in 1939 and continued to kill the incurably ill, physically or mentally disabled, emotionally distraught, and elderly throughout the war effort. The whole component of it was euthanasia. Hitler came up with this program with doctors after World War II had started, and he went back and redacted the statement saying that it started when the war started so that he could say it was a war effort and it wasn't Mm -hmm. like some weird fucky policy situation that it actually was. Right. It's almost hard to wrap your mind around like how the Nazi party, its mission included so much carnage right lining people up shooting them or gassing them and it's crazy because this whole program the t4 program it was started by hitler but also like his chief of chancellery and his physicians like he had a whole staff charged with the responsibility for expanding the authority of physicians so that patients considered incurable according to the best available human judgment can be granted a mercy killing i gotta say Nazi Germany was definitely not the home of the best human judgment. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's nuts. And in, in this, the T4 program was established with a mandate to kill anybody deemed to have a life unworthy of living. They saw it as applied biology. Oh, my God. So they would go to, like, psychiatric institutions and hospitals for the chronically ill and they would round these people up to just kill them. Mm. And the program staff informed the victims' families of a transfer to the killing center. Shit. Visits, however, were not possible. The relatives then received condolence letters, falsified death certificates signed by physicians, and urns containing ashes. Probably of anybody. Right, which is like... Like they they coined it as like an actual treatment is the thing. Yeah. It says, while the program's personnel killed people at first by starvation and lethal injection, they later chose poison gas as the preferred killing technique. So they would only select about a quarter of the total people that came to the camps to work. Mm. And by work, I mean that they ripped out people's gold teeth so that they could melt it down and they would be the ones to pick up and carry corpses to throw them into the ovens. Oh, so if you Jesus. were fit and able, you were allowed that privilege to, to do, do that. Like, oh my but God. the other three quarters of people, which included almost all children, elderly and the unfit, were sent immediately to the gas chambers. So they went to the gas chambers thinking that it was a shower and right. they were going to be bathed with lye, basically, and like lice mm-hmm. shampoo and stuff so yeah. that they would be clean. Like a prison. And they would be locked inside and then they would be gassed with cyanide. So Johann Kramer, who was an SS doctor who oversaw the gassings, testified that the, quote, shouting and screaming of the victims could be heard through the opening and it was clear that they fought for their lives. Heavy stuff. Horrifying. Like, I mean, obviously nobody has survived it, so we we don't know for certain. Right. But I'm sure people have been exposed to it. Maybe not survive for long. Yeah. They said the corpses were found half squatting, their skin discolored, pink with red and green spots. 
with some foaming at the mouth or bleeding from their ears. Whoa. And I looked it up just to see what cyanide does. Essentially, cyanide stops cellular respiration. That sounds important. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's how you live. Right, right. You know? It kills you from a molecular level very quickly because it halts that process throughout your entire body. And just to give you some perspective, if there was a 150-pound person and they were gassed with about 70 milligrams of cyanide, they would die within two minutes. 70 milligrams of anything is nothing That's compared to life. Right. So after the war, several officers that worked in Treblinka faced trial in West Germany It's not as many as I would think, and the numbers vary a lot. It's anywhere from 20 to 35 that were stationed there. Ten defendants total were tried who were sentenced to life imprisonment, obviously, because, like, how the fuck wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't really— You can't really get out of that one. Find a really good lawyer. A big thing that I'll talk about more later is a lot of these people were able to escape before they were caught. Yeah. And so a lot of them never really— were punished for all the things that they did during this time. Right, never saw justice. And if you listen to our previous episode, whatever the fuck it was, we talk about the Nazi doctors who were kind of picked apart after the war. Yeah, under Project Paperclip. Paperclip, That was the second to last episode. Okay, yeah. So listen to that if you're interested in more of that stuff. So I'm going to transition into two very well-known Nazi people. (laughs) Hitler and Shadow Hitler. (laughs) Hitler's evil twin. (laughs) Hotler. He's hotter, but he's also Hitler. So one uh, is named Ivan the Terrible, and he was a guard stationed at Treblinka, but he was one that was never caught. He was actually referenced a few times by survivors that later wrote memoirs about their experience or had diaries at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was called by the survivors as the worst devil of all of Treblinka, which is... Wow, that's a title. That's, that's, a, like, that's yeah, a title. You have to earn that. He was identified by his real name by other guards, but interesting part of history that I liked was the name came from Ivan IV, the infamous first czar of Russia. He was first married to Anastasia Romanov which led him to go crazy after she died because he was so crazy in love with her. But Ivan, the Russian ruler, was very paranoid and ruthless. And to give you some examples of what he was like, he blinded the architect of St. Basil's Cathedral by gouging out his eyes so that a cathedral of such beauty could never again be created. That's the meanest thing ever. Yeah, so he like petitioned for this architect to make a cathedral for him. Yeah. And he loved it so much that he gouged out his eyes so he could never make another one. Wow. That's the kind of guy he was. I have more. (laughs) (laughs) I I have more. I have more. I've been terrible. (laughs) So fearing the nobility were plotting against him, he instigated a rule of terror through a newly created secret police force which enforced his dictatorship over Russia. So basically, in 1570, Novgorod is one of the largest cities in Russia at the time. Yeah. What is it called? Novgorod? Novgorod? I have no fucking Probably. idea. Like, I, I don't know, know I, Russian. I, 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 what am I talking about? He sacked the city and killed everyone inside, as Ivan believed the entire population was plotting to overthrow him. <laughs> he led the attack himself, slaughtering thousands of people. So he was just wow. like, we're going to fucking psycho. We're gonna kill all of them. He beat his pregnant daughter-in-law, causing a miscarriage. 
daughter-in-law. Yeah, so his His son was like, fuck, dad. Yeah, well, after that, he killed his son by beating him with a walking stick after a fit of rage and a disagreement. I'm starting to understand the nickname. Yes, this is Ivan the Terrible of Russia, and the guard in Treblinka was named after this guy, so you can imagine. He was equally ruthless and blindly cruel. Yeah, exactly. Terrifying. I I guess we got to hear about this guy now. Yes, you don't you don't really want that nickname. You don't want that association. Right. So he gained international recognition after the 1986 John Demont. Oh fuck! I know how to say this too. John Demanyuk case. Is that the how you say it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Sorry, John. This whole episode is going to be just us butchering words. So if you know the words, <laughs> I, Russia, I'm, I'm sure it's yeah. going to be so infuriating. We do have one Russian listener because we got that um, email when we were trying to say Jopa. You remember? No, I didn't know this. Yeah. She just thought it was funny. Oh, cool. Well, you're not going to find this funny. <laughs> we're butchering your history. So the John Demanyuk case. I shouldn't have said that again. <laughs> was extremely popular in the 80s and in the 90s because they believed him to be Ivan the Terrible. And there's like a recent Netflix miniseries all about him called The Devil Next Door, which is really well done and really good. So I'm not going to try and like rehash everything that happened in the case because I'm I would gonna, do a really yeah. shit job. And it's like okay. five episodes where they're an hour each. Like there's no way I'm going to do that yeah. any justice in 10, 20 minutes. It's very noble to admit that. (laughs) I would never admit that. I would be like, so here's a condensed, terribly misinformed version of this. (laughs) Enjoy. So if you're interested at all in any of that, go check out the Netflix series because it's really good. But just to give it some perspective, 40 years later, after the Holocaust happened is when this case was ongoing. Yeah. The survivors remembered him vividly because of how haunting they found him. A lot of the testimony said that Ivan the Terrible would visit them in their nightmares still at like 70, 80 years old. They would still see this man in their dreams and like they remembered him that well. The people when they were testifying, it's nuts because they would just be like completely sobbing and they're like, I know this man. I know this man. I know what he looks like and I know that's him. And John at this point is an old man. Like he's had kids. He's had grandchildren. And everyone that's ever met him has said that he's just like this really nice guy, like family man. Oh, that's the ultimate psycho. Worked in a factory and took care of his family. And like no one could picture him doing this. And, you know, his community around him, like people quit their jobs so that they could fundraise this lawsuit for him. That's how every like serial killer plays out in so many cases where it's like, oh, he was a a pillar of his community, Mm -hmm. father, husband, whatever. Such a nice guy. Oh, he was actually cutting people up and burying them in his backyard. In this guy's case, he was a horrifically psychotic Nazi death camp guard. But they also know that if they do all these things, then it's going to make it that much harder for people to believe that they were this horrible person. There's going to be that doubt because, well, they know me as this great, amazing community person, this great father. Ivan was Ukrainian. Okay. And John was also Ukrainian and then moved to America. So there's that link there Mm -hmm. of them both being Ukrainian, both being around the same age, both having kind of similar facial structure. So there were a lot of similarities there, which made a lot of people believe that it was Ivan the Terrible. Well, I think the witness testimony itself, it was probably enough to like damn him. Yeah, because there were eight, I believe, eight people that came up and testified against him, which is kind of wild to think about. There were that many after so long to right. testify against right. him. Well, they weren't that old in the 80s. I mean, you know, 60. 
Right. Ivan the Terrible's job at Treblinka was to operate two tank engines that fed the gas into the chambers, basically. Oh, okay. And he was known for his extreme cruelty among the victims, even among the other guards. Like, he was infamous throughout the entire camp for just being this insanely cruel person. He would torture victims with pipes, swords, and whips before they would enter the gas chambers. He knew that he was going to kill them, and he would still torture them and humiliate them he used to cut off the noses and ears of the workers so not even the people that were about to be killed but the workers who had to keep living as they walked by and they were forced to continue walking as they bled they couldn't do anything about it so he would just walk up to these people and just cut off their ears and they just had to like keep going that's sadistic power right imagine like i'm just doing this because i can because you're so nothing I can do this. He once killed a prisoner with a carpenter's drill. He held them down and just drilled them. And he once took an infant from its mother and smashed its skull against a wall. Oh, my God. What is wrong with this man? He would cut women between their legs. (gasps) (gasps) Fucking beast. Well, you know, honestly, though, first of all, he's an absolute psychopath, like Mm -hmm. beyond psychopath. It's a perfect outlet for people like that. Exactly. And also, we haven't really touched on it too much, but the anti-Semitism was so strong in Europe for centuries before this and it's you know obviously still around but like it was really the norm to have this toxic view of Jewish people mm-hmm. and so if you get a psychopath and he already has these things that he's learned to hate you know right it's acceptable and he's praised right. for hurting them he's a great officer for hurting them that's so upsetting Like I said, I'm not going to get into the case so much. So if you're interested in hearing about that, there's a lot of twists and turns that makes it really interesting to watch. But there is a quote that kind of stuck with me. It's, there is no debating Demanyuk's unspeakable past. He has no business being on American soil. There is only one place where Demanyuk belongs. He's 75. With any luck, he'll be there soon. Oh, that's, that's great. On one hand, it is fucked because these people probably have such a traumatic past with this and they just want like a resolution with this fucking horrible person so many people didn't get the right closure how could you get closure for that right so is it like john really is ivan the terrible or is it just these survivors want him to be ivan the terrible so badly so that they can punish him oh yeah totally you know what i mean so ivan the terrible really really fucked man and i'm gonna tell you about another really fucked man called joseph Mengele. we covered him oh so slightly in our mk ultra episode so go back and listen to that if you want it's our old format and going back and listening to that episode was really weird actually because of how different our formatting is now yeah it was a different show that's when we had spook squad and i forgot about our spook squad intro oh yeah Uh, spook squad that was funny Anyways, let's make light of more Nazis. (laughs) Uh, So Joseph Mengele was a doctor mentored by Otmar von Verschuer. Sure. That's not even his name at all. (laughs) He was a really famous doctor at the time who influenced a lot of Nazi policies towards Jews, Roma people, and LGBTQ specifically. He argued that race has a biological basis and that inferior people would taint civilization. He advocated for forced sterilization and selective breeding 
to have like the best race of people possible. And he liked to use twins in experiments to gain genetic information to determine whether certain things were from disease or if it was environmentally based because I think I explained this before, but I'll, I'll explain it briefly. Identical twins means that a woman has an egg and then there's a sperm that fertilizes the egg and that's how it grows into a baby. What happens during that process is the egg is fertilized, it starts to form into a baby, and somewhere in the process, the egg splits into two fertilized eggs and embryos. So now you have two embryos that form into babies, but they have the identical genetic information because it came from one egg. And so what happens when they're born, one of them is an imposter, and the doctor and the parents had to figure out which one it is. Right. But they do this by asking the baby questions only the real baby would know. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So that's different from fraternal twins. Fraternal twins is when you have two separate eggs fertilized by two separate sperm. Yeah. So it's essentially... You don't look the same. You don't look the same. You're just roommates. Yeah, you're just roommates. It's essentially like being siblings. It's the, sa- it's the same thing as right. being siblings, well, but you're born. It's a, both are siblings. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, si- <laughs> you're siblings, but in this sense, I'm thinking like brother, sister. Yeah. Two different. You don't share that much else than a womb. Yeah. You just share a womb. So that's how you get brother, sister twins mm-hmm. because they're fraternal. You cannot have like a brother, sister identical because right. it's identical genetic information which means they would have to be the same gender. They would have to be the same everything Yeah. for them to be identical. But they like to use twins for this reason because they're two sets of genetically identical right. people. We well, have a freebie that you can kill. Yeah. So they were <laughs> able to determine if certain things like genetics would cause disease or like criminal behavior right. to be inherited. Yeah. So they were fucking around with a lot of twins to find out what exactly is inherited and what exactly is from the environment nature nurture kind of thing yeah the problem is that like they're all kind of like ivan the terrible and no one is enforcing any kind of ethics yeah their philosophy is just do whatever you want right so joseph mengala worked under this doctor so he learned all of that from him basically and they were both really big proponents of eugenics because they wanted to breed desirable genetic traits into humans and so you would accomplish that by getting rid of all of the inferior humans which in nazi germany was jewish roma people or gay people so yeah essentially there's a concept of the aryan white which is like the purest of white people Mm -hmm. and so the nazis were really interested in the uh volkish movement and so it's a whole thing but the essence of it is the idea of placing races into like a hierarchy and so at the top, of course, is Aryan, and the bottom is going to be something like a Jewish person. Since they're lesser, they deserve to be killed off because they're going to contribute to a weaker humanity. Right. It's very similar to Darwinism, social Darwinism. So to get into the twin experiments and what exactly they would do, the general idea of the twin experiments was to use one twin as a control and then subjected the other one to different experiments to see how would it affect both twins. Because there's that common belief, well, if you hurt one twin, the other will feel the pain. So they wanted to yeah, see... Yeah, that's really fucked up. Yeah, they wanted to see like how far that could go. So they would do things like forced insemination. They would inject them with different diseases. They would do amputations and they would kill them. And the one that died 
Well, if one died, they would kill the other one immediately after, and they would dissect and study both twins to see what had changed. Mm-hmm. And if one was affected by the other one dying. I'm sure they were affected by their twin dying. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Mangala, you don't need a scalpel for that. Yeah. So I'll kind of leave my segment off with some stories of twins that were subjected to this kind of experimentation and what they said okay. it was like. Yeah. So one survivor detailed how Mangala impregnated one girl with the sperm of another twin. He pampered her during her pregnancy and attended the birth himself. When he saw that there was only one baby and not twins, he tore the baby out of her uterus and threw it into an oven and walked away. Cold as ice. Yeah, that's fucked. That is beyond fucked. Ripped it out and threw it into an oven. The mind reels trying to even like imagine what the doctor was mentally. Again, Mm -hmm. to these people, a Jewish person, a Roma, whatever, they aren't human. Mm -hmm. And that's how they can justify that. It's so bizarre. Another account says that another woman gave birth and Mengele gave the order to bandage her breasts to avoid feeding the child to see how long it would last without any food. She said that... The mother that this happened to, she said she tried to feed the baby with half-chewed bread wrapped in a piece of linen dipped in coffee, but the baby wouldn't eat it and it lost weight and finally, quote, it couldn't cry, only whimper. Oh, God. That's not even the end of it. She was convinced by another doctor to murder her own child so that Mangala wouldn't get tired of her and kill both of them. So she was convinced to kill her own child so that she was able to live. Another set of twins, when they were captured and brought into Mengele's laboratory, saw hundreds of human eyes pinned to the walls like a butterfly collection. Green, blue, and brown pinned to the walls, staring at them. Oh my god, this is like some of the darkest stuff I've ever heard. Yeah, another person says that he would remove the organs of some twins without anesthetic and sew Mm. them back up and see what would happen. Ugh. It's fucked. All I can do is exhale. And I didn't write too many notes on it, but I read like this good biography piece on Mengele's life. And he was even fucked by other Nazi standards. Like he was so devoted to this work Mm -hmm. that people who worked on the compound said that he was seemingly everywhere at once. He would pick up other people's shifts. He was so he was so devoted to this. So he was an absolute creep monster. Yeah, he wanted to be doing this like every single minute that he was awake. This was his calling. And one of the jobs that was hated by pretty much everybody that worked at these camps was sorting the prisoners to see like who would be gassed and who would get what. I'm sure Mengele loved that because he got to pick his guinea pigs. Yeah, he he did. He would purposefully take all the extra shifts so that he was able to sort them. And all the other guards would find it depressing, but he would walk around the camp with a smile on his face. He's made for this work. Because mm-hmm. that's something that no one talks about, too, is that, like, there was plenty of Nazis that knew what they were doing was wrong, mm-hmm. and it haunted them. There was plenty of those, and there's plenty of those that still didn't care. It, it's very complex, but it's also a great sort of look at the extremes of human psychology and behavior in a group, in a society, and how belief and racism and power dynamics play a part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and crazy. Tr- and just like, oh my God, hell on earth. Yeah. Anywhere you look in a camp like this, even behind closed doors, especially behind closed doors, it's hell. One part that I liked about a piece on Mengele, like a biography, it says, ask a person who knew that camp, Auschwitz, 
What the worst part of it was, and the killing center is the hands-down winner. Ask a survivor to name the most terrifying murderer in the whole complex, and they'll give you the name of Dr. Joseph Mengele. Darker than black. It's nuts, too, because he was such a bright person. Like, everyone in his life always loved him. Like, he was always so charming, and he, like, joined the military effort, fought in the war, and he eventually was hurt so that he was stationed in Auschwitz to be the doctor because he was already a doctor, but he wasn't fit for fighting anymore. Mm -hmm. He was put in this role where he thrived as being this angel of death. And after the concentration camps were raided, he was able to escape before he was caught. Yeah, they never got him. Yeah, they never actually caught him. They found his remains later on and confirmed that he died. And it was in Brazil, I think. Yeah, a lot of them escaped to South America. South America, because there were a lot of sympathizers there. Mm -hmm. And he was with his friends and family there. And everyone... Nice cushy life. Yeah, everyone knew that he was there. They knew what he had done. And no one turned him in. He died drowning one day. He had a stroke while swimming. And he just... Good. Yeah. I'm glad it went that way. That's one little thing. At least he he drowned. I wish Uh, he had drowned in shit. (laughs) Yeah, so that's nuts. But I think it's also important to be informed on these kind of things. And to not look away from it because you think this couldn't happen again. This could happen again. Right. There's concentration camps in China. Yeah. It's absolutely mind-boggling to think of what humans are capable of, what hatred people can have, and the dissociation people can have. Yep. And like I know you know... There's no way that you mentioned the worst parts, the worst stories. Yeah, because most of the people died. Yeah. Treblanka, like I said, there were fewer than 100 people who survived that. After World War II, there are less than 100 people who lived. Beyond fuck. This is going to be a really dark episode, guys. I apologize. Yeah. Um, it's well, all interesting in a very dark, macabre yeah. way and not so much in the lighthearted way that we usually do. What I'm going to talk about is actually a little bit more lighthearted, <laughs> but <laughs> equally terrible. Um, I have always... And maybe you've heard this, too, and you see it in movies a lot. This idea that the Nazis had an interest in the occult. Yeah. So the whole Nazi party politically is national socialism. Okay. And I think with that, there's a big pull on community and, like, pride in your nation. So they would, uh, for example, like, Nazi pageantry pandered to the masses with messages and concepts which drew greatly from German folklore and occult legends. Like werewolves? Werewolf werewolves? Uh, You'll find out. Or the werewolves of London. That's not how the song sounds. <laughs> how does that song sound? Sweet Home Alabama. It sounds like, yeah. Werewolves of London. of London. If you guys don't know, Warren Zephon, Werewolves of London. Great song. Great for Halloween. Also great for any kind of ween. <laughs> but, uh, We're in there, the comedy part there's now, li- guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Happy sunshine. Um, there's a lyric in that song that goes, Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Which I think is an accomplishment for the letter L. <laughs> Little old lady got mutilated late last Little night. Little old lady got mutilated last night? Late last night. Oh, okay. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Little, Little old lady, lady got, got mutilated, mutilated late, late last, last night. night. So werewolves in folklore are... I know we're talking about Nazis, but I'm going to talk about werewolves for a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what a werewolf is? <laughs> we're going to tell you. Uh, werewolves in folklore are a man-beast hybrid that originated in many medieval European countries like Germany, where in the 15th and 16th century, early witch trials occasionally included individuals accused of lycanthropy or transformation mm. into a wolf. So there weren't just witch trials. There were werewolf trials. <laughs> like Salem. Yeah. But there's no werewolves in Salem. There's only werewolves in London. 
Throughout Europe, in places like Switzerland, Estonia, Austria, and the Netherlands from as early as the 15th century, with some of the latest trials occurring in Austria in the late 1600s. So werewolves were scary for always. Wow. It isn't a new thing. Your grandpa was scared of werewolves, and your dad's scared of werewolves. I'm scared of werewolves now. Yep. You never know when they're going to strike. That's true. Where is the wolf? Where? <laughs> That's the ultimate question. Uh, in early werewolf trials, confessions sometimes mentioned... Why am I talking about werewolf trials? In early <laughs> werewolf trials, confessions sometimes mentioned the use of enchanted wolf pelts that allowed humans to transform into a werewolf. What does that sound like, Kaylee? The Sims. That's not not the answer I wanted. You can't tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's right, because this is a Rorschach test. Uh, Like uh, skinwalkers, they wore the wolf pelts, and they turned into... Okay, when you said pelt, in my head it was pellet, like a a pill. Like a pill. The Sims did not have a werewolf pill. But they had potions. To cure you of your werewolf. And to make you a werewolf, I'm sure. There are so many potions in that game. There was probably about seven potions in that game. There's so many. Po- there's a romance potion. There's one that turns you into a frog. Uh, yeah. So these pelts were often, as told through these confessions, given to the accused by the devil. Ah. The that devil. That just seems interesting because hey, the devil's been giving people wolf pelts. But this is really what I, why I want to talk about this because I, I got a fun fact that I love. Okay. Uh, the condition of being a werewolf was called werewolfery. Of course it was. <laughs> oh, God, that's, that's the word of the day, werewolfery. In German folklore, werewolves were often flawed but sympathetic characters and represented German strength. Mm. As werewolves were barbaric and deeply connected to nature, forest, and hunting, undeniably animal yet undeniably human, a being that was covert when stalking prey and unstoppable in a fight. Hitler was reportedly fond of such imagery and symbolism, naming one of his headquarters werewolf. Of course, yeah. So creative. Uh, this one's going to be called Werewolf. <laughs> I like Werewolf, so this uh, one Werewolf. <laughs> Hitler's first Eastern Front military headquarters was a complex called Wolfschinsen, which translates to the Wolf's Lair. And Hitler allegedly enjoyed the self-christened codename Wolf. Uh, okay. So he's like, the Wolf has entered the Wolf's Lair. And when he, <laughs> when he went to Werewolf, he said, the Wolf has entered Werewolf. Okay, the Wolf is in Werewolf form now. Yeah. I'm bipedal. I am Wolf. Also, fun fact, the name Adolf itself comes from the old German Adolf, meaning noble wolf. Okay. Noble wolf is a badass name. Unfortunately, Adolf Hitler retired that name like a basketball jersey. (laughs) No one can be Adolf again. Can you imagine being like the supreme ruler of Germany and being like, hey, guys, I want you to call me wolf now. You'd probably be like, yes, sir, wolf. (laughs) Mein Führer. (laughs) So Heim, Heim... So many names that are almost hemorrhoid. Heinrich <laughs> Himmler was Adolf Hitler's right-hand man sort of in the Nazi regime. His position was Reichsführer of the Schutzstaffel, which is the SS. I'm just going to call it the SS. And it's the highest position in the SS. And he built the SS from nothing to something, essentially, because the SS was huge and very feared. And if you were an SS officer, you were top echelon. You were the man. For 16 years, Himmler turned the SS from a battalion with around 300 members to a massively powerful paramilitary group boasting 800,000 to 900,000 members. According to a report, there was two different reports I found. One said it was like 800, one said it was 900. So what did it take to be an SS dude? He had to wear a pelt. <laughs> and call Hitler the wolf every time you saw him. Yeah. Hello, the wolf. Danke. <laughs> Members had to prove they had no Jewish ancestors, 
They had to agree to marry only with consent of their superior officers, and this was so that the superior officers could then look at your wife and make sure that she had no Jewish Jewish ancestors. Mm -hmm. You must value allegiance and obligation to Nazi way of life, their chief beliefs and their ideals, and you must perform your duties without question. You just had to do it. Right. In the mid-30s, Himmler developed an SS subdivision called Death's Head Unit, whose members operated the concentration camps. The name Death's Head Unit came from the hats members wore that portrayed a skull insignia. This was not to symbolize their murderous acts. Rather, it was to symbolize the unit's commitment to their faith and loyalty to Hitler, a commitment they vowed to follow until death. So that skull meant, I will forever be loyal to the Nazi party, to the Fuhrer. Skulls, insignia, stuff like that. The SS actually had two thunderbolts for the the symbol, which is actually derived from like an old pagan symbol. Mm -hmm. And throughout the SS, old runes and pagan symbols are are used, I believe, under the recommendation of Himmler. Himmler was, I would think, out of all the leaders of the Nazi regime, he was the most into the occult. From a young age, he was obsessed with the occult. He had a library of occult books that he collected. So he was probably the one that was like, Hitler, check out this stuff. It is so fucking cool. He's probably like, have you ever heard of a werewolf? Have you ever heard of a werewolf? Do you want to be a werewolf with me? Let's leave that on the playground, shall we? In late 1944, Heinrich Himmler helped initiate Operation Werewolf which intended to place elite troops of volunteer forces behind enemy lines, similar to like commandos or special operations like uh, the Green Berets, guys that are doing secret stuff Mm. in smaller numbers at higher risk. They put these people behind enemy lines to engage in guerrilla warfare. So now we've got gorillas and wolves. That's terrifying. (laughs) Who do you think would win in a fight, a gorilla or a wolf? A wolf, for sure. Are you sure? Wolves are sneaky. But a gorilla can punch. A gorilla can punch if it sees the wolf. It's going to see but it once a, it bites it. But a wolf is sneaky and can sneak up from behind and get the throat. Yeah, but the wolf does that howl that's really noticeable. That's true. Yeah. You know, so on the way to find the gorilla, it's going to probably howl at least once or twice. Cause and the gorilla can be in trees. Can they? Yeah, it can get away from a wolf. Yeah, I guess it can. Wolf is stuck on the ground howling. It's just barking. Just barking. Just barking at the bottom of the tree. Yeah. It chased it away. Yeah, so using tactics like ambushes, sabotage, and raids... The werewolves, the Nazi werewolves, were to weaken Allied forces. Now, uh, a lot of this has to do with propaganda as well. So the Nazis were like, we got these werewolf soldiers. We got to make sure that everybody knows about them, but we got to do it low key, like so they don't know that we're trying to scare them with propaganda. How they did this was a radio transmission near Berlin broadcast what was called Radio Werewolf, (laughs) a radio station spouting pro-Nazi propaganda that encouraged German civilians to take arms against the Allied powers. Radio Werewolf was reported on by Time Magazine in April 1945, detailing a particular broadcast from a young German girl who reportedly howled like a wolf and said, I am so savage. I am filled with rage. <laughs> Lily the Werewolf is my name. I bite. I eat. I am not tame. My werewolf teeth bite the enemy. And then he's done. And then he's gone. Who, who, who? I imagine the hoo-hoo-hoo this, is the howling. Like, this feels like a, like a Powerpuff Girls episode. <laughs> <laughs> like a weird foreign kids TV show translated into English, and this is what we have now. Yeah. I am savage. Arr. I am filled with rage. <laughs> Lily the werewolf is my name. I bite, I eat, I am not tame. Who, who, who? The werewolves, as they were called, were comprised largely of members of the Hitler Youth, all ages and both sexes. Uh, And some estimates number them at around 2,000 of them, purportedly. Mm -hmm. These forces were feared, especially by Allied troops assisting in German occupation after the Nazi collapse. These guys could be anywhere because towards the end of the war, when everything was falling to shit, 
Uh, they were like, werewolves, assemble, <laughs> and just fucking fight your way to the death, you know? Claw. Be proud of claw. your German heritage. Yeah, <laughs> claw, claw. <laughs> However, some saw it as just overblown propaganda with famous American General George Patton claiming, quote, this threat of werewolves and murder was bunk. Ah. That's his hot take. Bunk? This is a load of bunk. Sound like spunk. That's a load of spunk. Gross. Eh. Werewolf spunk. <laughs> Disgusting. So yes, there was such a thing as a Nazi werewolf. So there is a connection there with the occult, although it really doesn't go that far. You know, the term occult denotes that which is hidden or forbidden, mainly like forbidden knowledge. And the Nazis certainly kept their experiments secret. Very culty. There's aspects of the Nazi belief and the way of life, like Himmler, uh, near the dark depths of the war and stuff with the SS. He wanted officers to denounce their Catholic or Christian belief because he wanted them to just believe in the regime, right. the Nazi way. The motto of the SS was loyalty is my honor. And they used that to make them do some messed up stuff. In a, in a sense, they turned themselves into a religion. They turned themselves into a cult. I think it's an interesting look into the past, and I think that even though we are taught it, it's not something that we really give much weight or thought to, and I think it's good to be reminded just kind of how cruel and how inhumane it it really was. And you don't need black magic or some cosmic secret conspiracy to do the terrible things that the Nazis did. I think it's a huge part of why we have this fun little idea that the Nazis were mythologically evil because they were so powerful and they were so almost objectively bad in what they did to people. I think that's really hard to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. And so that encourages crazy conspiracies. But that's it, dude. I don't know how to end this. (laughs) That's a good place to end, I guess. Yeah. What do you think about... Um, what do I think about Nazis? Yeah. I think they're bad. <laughs> oh. How many points do I get now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so dark stuff. Sorry, guys, if that kind of bummed you out. But, hey, you learned something. And sometimes you got to look the truth square in the eyes and say, hey, where's the wolf? Yeah, where's the wolf? If you guys liked that kind of new twist on an episode, uh, let us know, and if you didn't, also let us know. Maybe we'll try and stay away from more of the darker stuff in general, or maybe we'll sprinkle it in every now and again to break up our comedy-heavy episodes. But just give us feedback. Leave us an iTunes review, and I'll read it. But let's do a good vibes really quick. Oh, boy, good vibes. My, You want to go first? You can go first. My good vibe. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Ooh, no, my a- good vibe is werewolfery. That's a good one. Werewolfery. It's really good. Keep that word under your hat. You may need it someday. Mine is related. So this is going to force us to keep what I said earlier in the podcast episode, the Sims 1 reference I made. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I looked it up while Jeremy was talking. (laughs) So my good vibe is the concoction station in the Sims 1. And if you don't know what that means, basically it was like a lab bench where you could make a bunch of different potions in the Sims 1. I just want to read off what some of these potions would do because I think it's funny reading it back. So there are nine different colors and the colors would do different things when you drank them as a sim. Yeah. The purple potion turns a sim into a monster for a set amount of time for three to four hours. (laughs) When this happens, the player will lose control of the sim and the monster will wander around the house and use items. They will always end up breaking especially the television. <laughs> and they also have a tendency of waking up sleeping Sims who are in the same room. It's like alcohol. 
And monster sims can also scare off burglars. <laughs> the Sims 1 was the wackiest shit. I yeah. loved it. Um, this one, I'll read one more. Actually, I'll, I'll do two more. The red potion makes the drinker's worst enemy of the opposite gender in the neighborhood fall in love with them and appear next to them. If the Sim is already in a relationship, their spouse will become jealous when they see this happen. For some reason, if a male Sim appears, it will commonly be Mortimer Goth. <laughs> I love Mortimer Goth. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Mortimer. God, Mortimer Goth. And Bella, Bella Goth. I'm Bella Goth. Yeah, yep. isn't that amazing? Only, uh, only Sims kids will know that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Mortimer Goth. <laughs> And then the orange potion will make your sim invisible, which does essentially nothing except they can stand in the bathroom while someone else is peeing and they won't shoot them out. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you want it for. Yeah, that's all you want it for. You're just gonna, I got to put a sim you get, now. You can watch people pee and they won't shoot you out. But that's really it. Yeah, that's all the potion does. <laughs> I, I want to go back and play some sims now. Yeah, you can get the sims one complete edition for, oh, for free. For free? Yeah, like Origin, where yeah. The Sims is on, yeah. we'll give it out for free a lot of the time. What? I have The Sims 2 Complete Edition for free on Origin. I gotta get that shit. I love Sims 2 is like. I love Sims 2 is my favorite. Yeah. Well, awesome. You guys should go play Sims 2 to cheer yourself <laughs> up from this depressing episode about terrible uh, acts of inhumane humanity. So if you guys like that episode, be sure to let us know. You can email us at according to an idiot at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter at idiots accord and an Instagram and a Facebook at according to an idiot. Be sure to also rate us on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any ideas, let us know. But we love you. Glad you're not dead. Stay safe, everybody. And I will see you in time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>